episode 18 of the IntelliCast podcast brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Lamar. Hey, Adam. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, please feel free to email us any show topics if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast. If you have a Mount Rushmore, uh, please email us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. That is IntelliCast1 on Twitter. Uh, I will find you in telecast at Twitter and I will take what's mine. <laughs> you can also find us EMI underscore research on Twitter. My own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly. Brian, do you have a Twitter? No, no Twitter yet. Cool. Uh, we have a special guest today. In studio. In studio. <laughs> Adam Dietrich, friend of the pod, third time on the podcast. Adam, how are you? Good, good. Excited to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you here. Uh, you were actually in town and then leaving, um, very shortly for the APOR conference, right? Yeah, going to be out there for a couple of days in Denver. Uh, pretty exciting, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Lean, lean towards the mic, Rook. Well, last time I had to do this remote, so try, <laughs> I'm, I'm still still learning. Uh, but now, yeah, I'm heading out to uh, to Denver for APOR uh, here in, in a little bit. An exciting, uh, looks like an exciting show. Lots of tracks, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. I love it. Um, let's start with market research news. What's new in the industry? So, new this week, the Insights Association, formerly the MRA, approved a new code, almost like a new standard of ethics. And, yeah. and what does that mean? What does that mean, Brian? They combine some things? That's, that's what it sounds like to me. I have not read through it, but it sounds like a, a good group of people that were on this committee. They got feedback from, a, I think, about 100 people. And I think it looks like they just combined the MRA and the CASRO guidelines. So, that was needed. So, sure. good for the industry. I think... Once we kind of get through it, we'll have a few bullet points, but good, right. good, good for us. Good for everyone, right? I mean, it's, mergers aren't easy. No, no. <laughs> um, other news uh, just came out yesterday. Research Now SSI um, is kind of going off of a trend that started with the presidential election, and they're doing more kind of verified polling. So they have they've gone out and they've looked at data or polling records. They have verified it against a third party and are now claiming to have the largest third party voter record verified panel in the industry. Yeah. Um, Brian, we'll start with your thoughts on that and then we'll go to Dietrich because I'm sure Dietrich is fired up. Yeah. Um, it's interesting timing because, well, maybe not. You know, there's some midterms going on um, and also the APOR conference, mm-hmm. which is public opinions. Um, I didn't see a lot of demand for this at the presidential election. But we'll see how this goes in the midterms. Maybe they're building for 2020. Maybe there's lots of companies out there that want this that I'm unaware of. But I think it's a lot of behind-the-scenes kind of clients that use this. But, Adam, what do you think? I think uh, in, in summary, you're, you're spot on. Um, if you followed if our, our listeners, can I say that? Sure. Uh, if our listeners, uh, hey, mom, uh, <laughs> have, uh, have kind of followed along my thought process around this, um, there's still a lot of questions and kind of unique factors in the the voter sampling aspect of, of polling that kind of differentiate it from regular consumer uh, research. And one of those things is is the higher demand amongst some of the uh, you know, polling-specific research teams uh, for the verification part. And it looks like they've done a good job at kind of combining these two panels and, and getting them on the same page when it comes to, to verification. Uh, but I still think the ongoing conversations about, you know, what's the necessity behind this? 
Um, you know, if, if we're gonna gonna trust, uh, you know, why 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 is the, what's the need? What's the demand behind it? Like you said, it wasn't uh, um, as much of a market shifter uh, during the sixteen election. Um, you know, that demand for for you know voter file matched respondents, and that's what we're talking about. By the yeah. way, it's like you know, so whether or not you voted, whether or not you registered, uh, all of that is public data, and. In, in this example, the, the Research Now SSI example, um, they have partnered with uh, the, the kind of the, the, the third party vendor that kind of checks and verifies all of that stuff against public records. Um, they've partnered with them that, and with um, and they're the kind of they're the side that's kind of most aligned with uh, the, the RNC, so the, the Republican Party's National Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called Data Trust. Uh, you may have heard of them a few. A few years back, um, they had a, a data breach issue um, that actually involved uh, cancer to an extent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the way that they've gone. I think I think it's the right step from that perspective. They've got um, about as comprehensive of a list as, as anybody does um, in terms of, of doing that verification. But uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I don't think that the the market has really said, "Hey, we need this" or anything like that yet. I have an opinion, and it, this opinion is mine and my own, not reflective of EMI Research <laughs> Solutions or anyone else uh, that may appear on the podcast. Um, I think this is snake oil. I really do. I think this is selling on fear. I think that, so we have this thing in the industry where we know that a hot button to get people to buy things to start to talk about data quality and start to talk about, well, if you don't do this, then this will happen. And then all of your data is wrong. How then are you going to tell your client to, you know, to do this if all your data is wrong? And it's very much a selling on fear that is just, it's horrible. It's horrible salesmanship. So with this type of verification, there's two routes you can go down. It, and that is you can either go to, okay, we're verifying these people. This helps you get to the right part. And then if you usually, if you fail at that, then you go to fear. It's like if you aren't verifying this against a third party, then what really are you buying? And this could very quickly, being that they, first of all, they only tie to the GOP. And as you mentioned before, we're talking like the GOP is probably not going to have a primary for the presidential election in 2020. Right. I think there's so much shift in behaviors. Like there's, as, as partisan as things are now, the gray is getting larger and larger. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe that looking at voter history is what it was 10, 15 years ago, as far as like a benchmarking type thing. Right. I'll use myself as an example, someone who has never voted blue in their life. But if you listen to the podcast and you heard my thoughts on a lot of things, chances are people probably think I'm, you know, a liberal person who votes Democrat on everything. So I think that the lines are as, as much as there is definitives, so much as there are gray. And I do not see the need for this other than a, well, if you aren't doing this, what is wrong with your data? Like right. a selling a fear type part. I'm, I'm right there with you in terms of, I think, uh, historic... Voting records uh, probably less relevant now than they've ever been. Um, I'm sure that there are pollsters and PACs and uh, researchers in DC that don't want to say that. You know, they're going to to draw comparisons for um, for this midterm with uh, the first midterm after Obama was elected, the first midterm after uh, you know Bush forty three was elected. Um, so there's. There and there are going to be some of those similarities when it turn when it comes to like turnout and things like that. Um, but when it comes to affiliation and things like that, I think you're right. I think that there we're in a, a, a unique time. 
Um, and I don't know, you know, verifying that somebody was registered to vote right. in the Republican primary in 2014 is really that sure. important. And if you think I'm wrong, like if you think I'm wrong that, yes, you can derive some kind of history from voter records in the past, mm-hmm. then there is another catch. And that is you are aligning yourself with just the v- the GOP, which I think has a tremendous risk of losing the House mm-hmm. and losing the Senate and also, by the way, lost the popular election last. I mean, it's you're basically saying I can get 48 percent of the 25 percent that vote on midterm elections. Like it just doesn't like it seems right. like really small. It's like saying I have the best juice ever. What type of juice do you sell? All kinds of juices? No, just prune. You know, it's 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 very limiting to me. Right. I, I have a thought on this as well. First of all, if you go to the Data Trust website, it's very cryptic. Yeah. There's nothing on it. Well, it's probably one. mostly Russian, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The second thing is they they claim to have thousands of data points, and then. Right now, after a few weeks after Zuckerberg is testifying before Congress with privacy issues, do we really want to be promoting thousands of data points on people? And also, they claim more than 300 million Americans. I mean, that's pretty much everybody, right? Right. I mean, I don't know if this is the best timing in the world. Those are my takes. I agree. So my marketing, if I worked at Research Analyst SI, my marketing spin would be that we have looked at across both panels – we have merged them together. We've deduped those across. We've taken the marketing, the targeting points that were on one and the other and merged them together. And from that, we at least have 50% targeting of registered to vote. That's, that to me goes a long way. Yeah. It's truthful mm-hmm. and it's something you can use in research. By adding in a spin of that, we have their voter records. I think that is plain to the ignorant. <laughs> Sorry. Coming strong today. That's strong. Hey, my personal <laughs> opinion. Who knows? No, I, I think you're right to an extent. Um, you know, if we just did, if you just pulled up a, a random insert average panel ABC here um, and you didn't use voter file matched sample, um, would your incidence rate be a little bit lower? Yes. Um, would you, you know, because you wouldn't get some of those folks that you know right. registered, et cetera. Um, but you also wouldn't be paying the. The premium and kind of some of those built-in costs, and also limiting the sample, right? Because at the end of the day, a lot of states are so different by how they do registration and things like that. Like, I, I just, I think your opinion of demanding voter file match sample is is not taking a look at the whole picture. And right. I don't. And we talked about this when I was was on the pod the first time. I think the most important progress in terms of polling, and I think polling is the most visual aspect of market research right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We we can spend hours talking about that. I think that for polling and public opinion research as a whole to get better, they have to get in touch with those parts of research that have been kind of in the background to the general public for a long time and get on the same page with, you know, the the traditional market researchers of the world, you know, kind of, and I don't know. I'm excited to see that kind of conversation firsthand at, at APOR this week, and yeah. and kind of and kind of see, you know, are the folks that we see at IIEXs and Quirks conferences and things like that, are they having that interaction and trying to get into, you know, the polling side and, and vice versa? 
And I don't know, but I think I think that would be beneficial for the long term is to get our polling, you know, polling folks more in touch with our traditional consumer research folks and start, you know, stealing the good, sure. the bad, the ugly, etc. I agree. And I think it'll be very, very good for the industry if we had something universal more too. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. So who's number if Research Now is Society are the biggest, what would you say? Like maybe Lucid or Critical Mix or whoever's number two, if they went on the Democrat side. Right, right. <laughs> that'd be great. And then you had something like a something like a purple strategies yeah. is where it could where it could mend the both of them, right? Yeah. Uh, the the thing I want I want to make sure that I, I point out um, in terms of data trust, they they are uh, data breach aside from last year, they are about as comprehensive as it gets. Um, there there were there have been there's this, this little dog fight uh, across probably five little dog. Or a big dog that's a small fight. We'll uh, go there. We'll go that one. Okay, sure. Uh, there's been a, a quarrel um, between a few different firms uh, on each side that are like data trust uh, that have been trying to win, you know, the RNC contract, the DNC contract. Sure. Um, you know, making roads with some of these these packs, these these committees, etc. Um, and it seems like data trust has been the winner across both sides thus far. Right. Um, so from that perspective, I think that they are, they're making a, a good choice there, but they also are, like you said, they're shutting off half of, you know, 52% of, of voters, uh, from the 2016 general. So I love it. Uh, let's break it up. We're supposed to go right in back into more business talk. Let's not, but we kind of can. So we're talking about government. We're talking about legislature, um, big current event, big legislator for news this week. Um, sports gambling. Ooh. Yeah. So the state of New Jersey won its case where the Supreme Court ruling that a sports gambling can be on a state-by-state basis. And to me, I've long used this phrase of gambling were legal. Well, now it might be. <laughs> so I can't say that anymore. And I, I'm actually really excited instead of going to Vegas. I'm really pumped about going to Nitro, West Virginia next year. <laughs> Lots of, lots of March Madness basketball. But, uh, Brian? Yes. I know you have some thoughts on this. I'm going to let you wait. Yeah. Because you have a kind of, it's a rant, basically. Yeah, you right? probably let me finish. This. Adam, you, um, if gambling was legal, I think you may have done it before. <laughs> I'm not sure. We may have talked about some things in the past. Um, what, what does this mean to you, this legalizing of sports gambling? Are you excited to make your first bet? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, very excited to, to, to make my first bet. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I think I generally, from a, a personal perspective, uh, have been against kind of legislation that, that kind of uh, inflicts kind of older sentiments and ideologies. Uh, for example, my... My mother's side uh, is from Indiana. Uh, they have what they call blue laws. You can't buy a car. You can't buy booze on Sundays, right? Yeah. Um, and so I've always been like, that's stupid. It's bad for their economy. You know, they, they're wasting tax money, etc. Sure. Um, I kind of feel the same way about it from a state revenue perspective, from a federal revenue perspective, from these owners' sides perspective. I think that there's there's definitely a lot of money there. But for some reason, because of the switch, I'm kind of feeling a little bit of that Indiana blue laws kind of throwback thing where I don't know if we have 
the infrastructure in place to take like there, there isn't I don't know if the the gamblers helping you know yeah. kind of thing I don't know I I feel, don't. I yeah. feel all types of ways about it but I do like the fact that if I had ever bet on sports beforehand uh, before right now I would have been dealing with a uh, bookie um, he's, a, he's actually he's actually a listener um, <laughs> jokes. Um, a, you know, it's kind of been this like underbelly black market kind of thing. Sure. I think bringing it to apps and things like that, I think that will be good. Um, sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, up in the air stuff. I think it's going to be weird how it goes. So I think like the NBA is going to ask for a 1% tax on it. The right. NFL definitely wants to tax as well. Mm-hmm. They would love it to go federal so they can be kind of uh, by state. You have the same type of tax. Like on top of that, you have um, there's going to be an increase in security. Like there's going to be some kind of task force, almost like in like a maybe it becomes like a like a ARF or you know or yeah. something like no they they, or something they have a, a match okay. fixing committee uh, in Europe for soccer uh, like UEFA does really yeah okay um, so you have that along with all the like if you have the NCAA you probably have to charge something some kind of percentage to go towards compliance teaching schools right about right. It, right. So there's a lot of costs that are going to pop up before we start making the revenue from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like the sticky points for me. The other part, like one of like one of the more red type thinking of me is that there should be like more state government, right? And then it, you and then you could choose where you want to live based on the state that best fits your ideology, right? So I think this kind of does that. Like I, Ohio will probably never pass legalized gambling based off of the strength of the Ohio State University. Um, you know, they haven't even put a bill forth yet. Right. Like a lot of other states have right. at least been working on a bill. Um, the general conservative nature of Ohio, you know, they uh, we voted for the state-run marijuana farms that we shut down a few years ago. We even tried to make that as business as we could, and right. it couldn't, it couldn't right, pass. Right, right, right. So, like, well, well, it won't happen in A lot of space between Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus. Right. Yeah. But if you think about... So I think about Kentucky, my home state, and this is a state that is really run by vices. If you think about the three things that Kentucky is famous for is bourbon, weed, or slash tobacco, plants you can grow out of the ground and smoke. I'll just put that. That's like okay. a bucket. All right. Put them all in there. And then lastly is horse racing. But it's not just horse racing. It's gambling on horse racing. That's right. the industry. Right. It's gambling on horse racing. You buy a million-dollar horse so that people can make $3 million betting off of it, right? So I think it, it's very helpful for the state of Kentucky, a state that is very poor, has a lot of debt, has a lot of pension problems. And if you were putting now a sports book into Churchill Downs, probably wouldn't put it in Keeneland, but like Turfway, Kentucky Downs, like all of these Kentucky racetracks where you're not only gambling horses already, but you kind of have the legislation in place to deal with sports gambling by dealing with horse racing, right, right. the same type of stewards and things like that, that I think that will help the state of Kentucky really rebound. They already have the legislation like on the floor, ready right. to ready to push through, and kind of cure some of. I think it's a, like a lesser evil in most people's minds is to gamble on a basketball game rather than um, you know have a dime bag under their mattress or something, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and I think that it, it just seems a little easier to me. I think that makes sense. The only thing that I'm frustrated with is that you didn't include dirty basketball as part of the uh, the core tenets of Kentucky's economy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, yeah, it's usually you go to the three Bs, bourbon, bluegrass, and basketball. But I'm leaving the basketball out of it. I didn't want to corrupt my stance on sports gambling with what's going on at the University of Louisville. Right. <laughs> I mean, put that out there. It was probably happening, too. Just going to say. Yeah. Brian, what's your hot take? Here's my take. Well, 
first of all, I agree with you all. I'm in favor of this betting. I think it's super exciting. I love the idea of going down a casino and putting a couple of dollars on a basketball game or some some sort of irrelevant sport and getting into it. Um, I love the fact that there's going to be these rogue companies based in the Cayman Islands just shutting down. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Um, my concern, though, is the user experience. Okay. So here's what I here's what I'm scared is going to happen. We're going to turn on ESPN and it's just going to show betting lines and the highlights won't be hey who won the game. The highlights are going to be hey, oh my gosh they made a three pointer the buzzer bad to, to, to bad beat right? right and then as a user experience that's going to be horrible for someone like me. And here's what I'm going to equate it to and this is where it might get controversial is fantasy football. Fantasy football started taking over 10, 15 years ago, and now all of a sudden I can't get away from it. There's a channel on DirecTV dedicated towards it. Yeah. I have a scroll during the games on whether somebody got 18, if Antonio Brown got 18 fantasy points. I don't care about that. I come into work on Mondays, not, not anymore, but I used to come into work on Monday mornings hoping to talk about the who won the game. Now we're talking about people's fantasy football teams. Yeah. Here, no one cares about somebody else's fantasy football teams. I'm not going to care if someone had a bad beat over the weekend either. Right. So that's my hot take. You already get a little <laughs> bit of the line talk on Monday morning anyway. Right? A little bit. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't just control the whole dialogue, though. I agree. There's something to that. Um, I thought you were going to go a different route. I yeah. really thought you were going to go like the addiction type realm. No. And how it's taking things off. But I, but I, I mean, my thought would be like, I have a big problem. This is really weird. <laughs> Total side. I have a big problem with the government telling me if I should wear my seatbelt or not right. in the car. I wear my seatbelt because of my own personal safety and I care for myself. Right. I have a big problem with the government like making me put on my seatbelt. Yeah. And I like this type, yes, it, it makes it harder to control gambling as a disease and as an addiction, but like we should at some point there has to be some accountability. I love that he is he is firmly entrenched in every corner. He said something liberal, he said something conservative, I know. and now he's like, Hey libertarians, I got something. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I'm basically just living in the gray yeah. over here. Yeah. Nicely done. It's a free thinker. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Is it wrong to think free? Sorry, that's my Kanye. Huh? <laughs> Let's go to Apor. Dietrich, you're leaving this afternoon for Denver. Uh, what are you looking forward to most at Apor? Sure. Uh, so the, the polling side, obviously, is the, the hot topic. Uh, research now, SSI's um, press release is certainly well-timed. There are numerous uh, conversations in relation to kind of the science behind um, what is, you know, a coverage bias, what is, you know, how do you use voter ID, you know, file, things like that. Um, that's that's going to be huge every time there's an election and an A4 conference. Um, that part is good, but I'm really excited. There's a, a, a track tomorrow about reaching rural Americans. Um, and I think that actually, I'm really excited to see them adopt this. Uh, they've got some folks from, from some big companies that do... Uh, you know, there's some big brands. They've got some folks from the qualitative side, from the quantitative side. And it just basically is how do we get better representation among, you know, suburban and, and, and rural voters or just public opinion as a whole, you know, consumers, even B2B. Um, I'm really excited about that because I think I think that it's been woefully underrepresented. Um, I think that, that from the online perspective, I understand why it's harder to, to recruit. I think that they've there have been some really creative and cool ideas. You think about some of our partners uh, that have used advertising that is specific to the agricultural industry um, and, and things like that. Um, I'm really excited to learn more and, and see more of that stuff. That's great. Um, what else? I, I guess 
what are your expectations going into it? Like, as an online sample supplier, mm-hmm. how do you think like that's going to be like accepted or even denied by some of the people at Aport? Sure. So I think the the collective of the I don't know the average Aport attendee is definitely um, more phone friendly. You know, phone research biased and uh, and is yeah you know, I don't know I don't want to say online skeptical. Sure. But certainly a, a newer. Uh, a newer user of, of online panel than, you know, than a traditional kind of consumer research gotcha. firm. So I think, I think having those kind of bare bones conversations about like, how does panel A versus panel B recruit its respondents? How does it incentivize? How does it, you know, measure its data in comparison? Um, I think I love those kinds of conversations. So I'm, sure. I'm excited about that aspect. Um, and I, I'm excited. I, I always, I love, having methodology conversations. So I feel, I feel like at, um, you know, at a lot of conferences, it'll just be like everybody's sold on online. So I like having that chat about the the validity of somebody on the phone that isn't voter sample, you know, verified sure. versus somebody online that is. Right. Or um, what it's wor- whether or not it's worth it to spend, you know, uh, 300 man hours dialing through a, a rural congressional district versus letting me send a few thousand emails to people that we know live within those zip codes. Yeah. Um, I, I love those kinds of chats. I'm excited about it. This is this is my jam. I'm really, uh, really excited to see where it goes. I, I think if I were you, I would be excited about the academic presence there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, we live in like a more of the business world and we talk to salespeople at conferences mm-hmm. and we're not talking about things like what you're talking about, methodology conversations, like – I never have conversations around margin of error and power and statistical significance. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be around a lot of people that aren't salespeople. They're academics and they're methodologists. And that I think that would be really interesting. You get to really get to the core of what people want to talk about. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's it's, just, it's a refreshing change. Um, and it's it's good for the industry, right? Like it, yeah. It's good to have those kinds of conversations and skeptics and people questioning each other. So any conference that has as good a representation from academia as this one does, I think, is, is good for all parties. That's great. So we'll jump right into our research hot take. Uh, last week we started this. People started sending in hot takes. I have a hot take just for you to talk about. And here's the hot take. There are way too many market research conferences. Adam Dietrich, what say you? I, I, I think it's true. Um, I think that the... I've been to too many conferences that are just a little bit too small. Sure. Um, you know, I, I just wish that we could combine a few of them. Um, I understand from the regional perspective, like, you know, we're heading to, to Boston next week. Um, I know that kind of every major city does like their citywide, their regional wide kind of thing. And those are, those are good and they make sense. And, um, you know, that's like kind of your, your local group, but some of these national conferences that only, you know, they, they really pull from a wide you know, breadth of, of research, but only get a few people from, from kind of each sector and each side. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's it's a sunk cost for everybody. So what if we just combine them all? I don't know. What do you think? Is that, from? I guess from a sales perspective, that's probably not not, not the most advantageous yeah, thing. No, because some people, I mean, so more market research conferences from a sales perspective is that you want more, right? Mm-hmm. You want more opportunities to get face-to-face in front of a large amount of people, right? But then... Sure. Some of these companies have popped up with a pure intent of making profit off of market research, off of any kind of conference. Oh, yeah. Like, I know, like, TMRE this year, they announced that their 
keynote is Peyton Manning. Well, I'm guessing, like they did last year, that organization that runs the TMRE is combining that conference with another conference at the same place. And Peyton Manning is kind of an umbrella speaker, and so you can make a lot of money out of it. The Market Research Exchange was another. I mean, great organizations, and they do give you a lot of great content along the way. But it is like it's a money making event, right? Right, to where I feel a little bit better about like MRMW and the Insights Association, things like that, right? Um, yeah, it just makes me feel that uh, there might be too many. Maybe if there were more specific ones, so like going to Aport, you know what you're getting, there, right? Right, going to MRMW, you know what you're getting there. So more specifics into it, and I think Insight Association does a good job of that. SampleCon, it's a perfect example, right? Totally. We're going to come in, we're going to talk about Sample and what are like our improvements of it. So I feel a little bit better about more of the specific types than I do the big broad come and learn about everything. So that's fair. Yeah, and it, but the big and broad, if there's as long as there's enough people there, you know, that's sure. that's that's the problem with you know some of these. Right. Sometimes. Yeah, you need a thousand or so, right? Right. You want to do the new four P's? These have changed. Since you've been here. Oh, can't wait. I've done so well in the past. <laughs> All right. So the new four Ps. The first one that we're going to talk about for P word is playlist. So if you got your phone, you can pull it out if you want to. What are the last three songs you listened to? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I know that this morning it was This Is America. Uh, Charles Gambino. Yeah, that was on my playlist last week. Way to be original. Yeah. Or, thanks for listening to the pod. Yeah. I had never, never heard that song before. <laughs> We're trendsetters. Yeah. Um, and before, <laughs> wow, this is kind of interesting. Um, I had, uh, this last song before that was Heim. They're a, wow. a female, uh, all sisters, four sisters, girl group. Spectacular. Okay. Sure. Um, and then before that was a, uh, a Kanye West song. Uh, one of the new ones? Nope. I'm still stuck on College Dropout, the sure. original. Yeah. Uh, it's 2004 where I live. Yeah. Um, in my head. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Kind of I love like it. Odd mix. Brian, anything on your playlist you want to talk about? Yeah. You know, I only listen to what you play in the office pretty much. Okay. So, my last few songs are... Um, I think it's Zed or Z- yeah. Um, and then we listen to some Carly B, maybe Cardi B. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're listening to in the office. That's what I listen to. Uh, me, you? my last three. Um, I just checked on my Spotify. Uh, you worry me by Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. Love that band. Uh, New Light by John Mayer. It's a little soft. I'm gonna put that out there. It's a little soft. I was trying. To, I was checking out the drive into work this morning, and then uh, come Monday, Jimmy Buffett. Summertime, oh, wow. guys. Summertime. I got my hush puppies on. Uh, I'm telling you, that song. Whew. I go through these little stages at work. You don't work here. You work in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> but I was like fun. randomly will come into the office and like there'll be like 10 straight Led Zeppelin songs. Just because like I was driving around and something came on like the spectrum. I was like, man, I haven't heard Fool in the Rain in forever. I want to listen to Led Zeppelin for three straight days. I did Elvis a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, odd. Next P. Is pride, Dietrich? What's your biggest source of pride? My biggest source of pride. Um, I can't think of a good joke. That's that's a shame. Um, my biggest source of pride. If you can't think of a joke, you're lying. You get it? Lions coming. Lions to pride. coming to pride. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. That's where I was trying to go. Um, my biggest source of pride. I don't. I don't. You know, I'm I'm approaching a big birthday next week. Fifty. Hmm. Uh, 
52. Okay. Um, <laughs> the goal, I don't know. Um, the, so I've kind of been doing a little bit of, of looking, looking back. Um, I, one of the things that I'm kind of proudest of is, um, the bond that I've, I've kind of built with my family on, on both sides, my mom's and my dad's and kind of like transitioned from, you know, a traditional kind of cliche high school kid that only cared about, you know, being social and playing basketball and stuff to, you know, this place where my parents are older and like, you know, we're having some of those difficult conversations and, you know, taking care of grandparents and, and, and things like that and building my own family and getting married later this year. Um, I would say that the, like my, my ability to kind of shift and, and, and really become like a, a, a giver to my family. I love it. It's a big shift, man. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> next, next P is perform. So this is kind of like a hidden talent. What is something that people don't know about you? Which is something you can do that I think we're going to go to, right? Oh, it's a good But yeah, think about if you have a hidden talent. Okay. Too. I got one. Go ahead, Dietrich. Uh, hidden talents. Yeah, I uh, I used to write um, about college basketball or college football. Yeah, uh, recruiting for you know getting to know seventeen uh, year old. <laughs> Yeah. Boys across the country you, and man. kind of yeah. predict how good they'll be at the next level. Yeah, uh, that was a fun really one. get invested in that. That's good. Real clean, non seedy world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't miss it. I'll say that. Dietrich, um, Dietrich, thanks, Brian. I, Do you have a hidden talent? I think my hidden talent, which is not so hidden, if you work in this office place, I'm a really good guesser. You are a good guesser. I can. You can give me anything, and I can guess it. But in some ways, that's a problem because. Like, when I'm guessing on a test, for example, like, I probably got through college by just yeah. guessing, and that's probably not good, right? You need to know the things instead of guess it, but I'm really good at guessing pretty much anything. See, I would, we talked, I would say that um, there's there's no such thing as guessing. It's educated guessing. I think that you take what you've learned yeah. and you've absorbed and you've come up with a gut feeling. Like, this is the Gladwell blink premise, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was that's good. What's yours? Uh, I do a pretty great uh, Michael McDonald impression. <laughs> oh come on! Yeah, I think that people like not a lot of people know that, but then when you hear it, like you become like, oh man, I want to hear that again. Can we get producer Brian to put some Michael McDonald on? I don't know. Yeah, Brian, get ready to press play. Um, I think I, I got some something lined up here. Are you ready? Because um, hold on, let me press the button here. Oh, let me find it on my Spotify. It's the sound of me scrolling and. All right, I think that that's it. Like, okay, so I could probably mimic that if I had to. Like, that is the like if I needed to do that, I could mimic that sound and do the same. Do it pretty well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Certainly a hidden talent. Oh, man, that's great. Oh. Uh, Dietrich, we got a special P for you. The last P is politics. So what are the top four races to watch in November? Do you have Ooh, them? I, I do. I can do that. Um, as I ponder, and I've been so good at that uh, over the last two minutes. It's good P. Uh, Brian, <laughs> can you tell me, if you're such a good guesser, Yeah. Uh, can you guess one of my top four? Races? I think you're gonna. Get, I think you're gonna say West Virginia Senate race. I think. I think that's that's what you're gonna say. Yeah. Number one. Number two. You're probably gonna go Ohio governor. Ooh, Mike DeWine. 
Um, I think there's a race in Arizona that's pretty good. I'm, I'm just giving you your list. I feel like I'm like three for three. No, uh, <laughs> you're not. Uh, West Virginia Senate is on my list um, just because I think it's a, a really good kind of bellwether yeah. where uh, Joe Manchin is – I don't know. I, I don't care your your politics – that's a dude that's hard to dislike, right? Yeah. Like he's, yeah. you know, he's just a, a, a kind of classic West Virginia fella. And I'm, I don't know. I think that one's going to be interesting. I, I would say of the Senate, uh, the, the democratic seats that they are trying to hold in the Senate, you know, thanks to this random map where they, you know, these, all these folks got elected in 2012 on Obama's reelection campaign and, and won in, in seats that are now pretty red. Um, I think that one is kind of a good indication as to where the future of, of that kind of Trumpian wing of, of the Republican Party is going to go. So I, I'm really interested in that one. Um, I will say, what was your second guess? Indiana, Ohio governor. Ohio governor. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. I th- I'll put that on the list. I think that it's, again, looking at 2020. It's good though, weather. It's a great bellwether. I mean, as as goes Ohio, as goes the nation. Um, this is a little cliche. Yeah. Uh, I watch feet. Yeah, there you go. Um, the I think that's a good one for twenty twenty again as well. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I I think that Ohio's even even with you know Sherrod Brown probably going to to skate to reelection in the Senate as a Democrat from Ohio. I think that they are. I think it's going to be a red state for a while. Like I think mm-hmm. that the, the 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 changing electoral college presidential map is going to be really interesting when you look at you know that blue wall uh, that's been sure. mocked so much lately. I think that Ohio is going to be an. Int- I think it's going to stay red. I think it's going to take a, a prolific uh, Democratic candidate to win statewide. So that'll be interesting. Um, I would say the same with Florida in Senate. Oh, that's been uh, Rick Scott. Uh, Republican governor, two terms running. Oh, no. um, I don't know. That's a tough one. That is that is a tough one, and that's that's a huge twenty twenty indicator just from a state specific yeah. kind of side. You know, if you've got a thing where mm-hmm. if the if, if you if you get to a situation where on uh, in November, you know, the Dems win back the House, but they hold, but the Republicans hold. On you know when the Ohio either either gubernatorial or Senate and they hold on to to or they and they win the Florida seat Senate seat uh, I think I think that makes them that puts them in a, that puts certainly at least Trump in a really good place for 2020 uh, even if they end up you know if one of these houses flips um, and then so that's three Arizona Senate Missouri Senate Missouri Senate's weird to me because it's a Democrat that could lose a Republican uh, Claire McCaskill is is. She's got. If you look at some of the public polls, I I, I don't think she's gonna lose. Um, but she's also barely won. I don't know if you guys remember Todd Aiken in twenty twelve. Yeah. Um, you know, she and her Democratic counterpart in Indiana, Joe Donnelly, uh, they both yeah. won solely not solely because that's not fair. Uh, they won. A, a large factor to them winning was not only you know the Obama coattails kind of thing, and that's also not fair because they both outran Obama in their respective states. Um, but their their opponents had uh, some pretty major faux pas on the campaign trail a few days before the election. So those two are interesting. But I'm, I have a question for yes. you. Should those Democrats 
and what are red states? Should they be talking about Russia right now? Should they be talking about impeachment? Is that a good strategy or a bad strategy? Frank Blunt <laughs> says no. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, that was that was a joke. Um, <laughs> I love Frank Blunt. Uh, I don't. I'll, I'll give you a research. I don't I think we'll talk about it. I don't think that he's a good representation of the market research industry, oh. and I don't think that we should be putting pollsters on the television who aren't even going to pretend to have any kind of research principles, <laughs> regardless of party affiliation. Right, right. Like there are folks on on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. I think you know. I I don't know. And I uh, I'll give a shout out to another podcast that has pondered this. Uh, the pollsters. Yeah. Uh, they've got two hosts that are. Really great folks, um, Kristen Soltis Anderson and, and Margie Romero. Uh, it's, they they talk about this kind of thing a lot, and, and they both come from you know Kristen's a Democrat or Kristen's Republican, and, and Margie's a, a, a Democrat, and they kind of they're they're willing to say, yeah, we only work with this side of the aisle from a client perspective, and they when they go on TV, they you know they talk about being from that kind of side, and I don't I think Frank Luntz is kind of. Wash that line away, and that's oh, that's yeah. kind of frustrating. I agree. Um, so, <laughs> to a little roundabout way to get to your to your answer, um, I don't. It's it, it's it's all it's all going to be really fun. But my, I wanted to go. I want to go to my for my fourth one. I want to do a quick random one um, because I think that there's this huge, uh, also podcast related um, growth among on the Democratic side among uh, like kind of trying to replace uh, Republican radio with. Democrat podcasts. Yeah. Uh, so there's this, this new organization, mainly of uh, of Obama speechwriters, uh, called Crooked Media. They've got the, the number one politics podcast in the country right now. It's called Pod Save America. Um, they've developed a 501c3 uh, to in California to unseat uh, the seven Republicans in the House who won re-election and also, uh, but but Hillary won the district. Yeah. Uh, and then they added uh, um, they added Devin Nunes as well, uh, who you guys know is the chair of the, the House Intel Committee. Um, uh, and they're calling them the Crooked Eight, and they are fundraising uh-huh. amongst millennials that listen to this podcast. Just give me five bucks at a time. It's the the midterm version of, uh-huh. of the Bernie Sanders movement. Yeah. And so I would look at that kind of combination of, of eight seats in California as as another really interesting indicator as to like where politics and money are going, where where polling is going to go, you know, because yeah. all of a sudden these you know obscure kind of more suburban and rural California house races are going to have a ton of money behind them, and yeah. you know I don't know I, I'm excited to see where that stuff goes. No, I, and I apologize for my long run. No, John Favreau's come a long way since Swingers. <laughs> that really... is not the same John Favreau. Now, believe it or not. Uh, not the same one. You forgot a major race, um, and that is the Knox County <laughs> mayoral race. Um, Linda Haney, who is the incumbent, she's a Democrat, um, is running against Glenn Jacobs, recently oh, yes. the Republican Party um, primary by just like 20 votes or something. Um, but I, I really think that this is Glenn's year. He's going to rise up from the ashes um, to choke slam the competition on this one. Glenn Jacobs is also known by the name Kane in the WWE. He's running for mayor of Knox County, which is Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, he just won the GOP primary and is now going for mayor of Knoxville. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Good old Rocky Top. Go Vols. <laughs> the Jesse Ventura the Jesse, Yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, like, there's... Wow, there's I something think, there. I think The Undertaker is going to be the lieutenant governor. Look at their brothers. Yes. 
Um, that's what, how I live my kayfabe life. Paul Bear. Yeah, that's right. God, rest in peace. Um, thanks, you guys. Thanks, Adam. Thanks yeah. for coming on today. I appreciate it. That wraps up episode 18 of IntelliCast. Um, you can see Adam today, um, or whatever today is in your world, May 16th through 19th at APOR in Denver. Uh, coming up also is IIEX, June 11th through 13th. You can meet myself, Brian Lamar, Tony Brown, Jason Enderhees, Andrew DeSillis, um, in Atlanta at IIEX, and then outside of the conference, on Tuesday night at 7 p.m., June 12th, we'll be recording a live podcast of the IntelliCast at the Barrel House um, in Atlanta. So it should be fun. It's just maybe a block and a half away from the Georgia Tech Conference Center. Uh, we've got four or five guests lined up right now. Um, I think it's going to be a great time, and we'll pay for your drinks for a little while. <laughs> Not bad, right? Good deal. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining us again. We'll see you next week on IntelliCast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.